Have you noticed how wonderful it is that the way they designed the car? That the driver's door is right out in the middle of traffic? Ron and Anian. You know, I love programming a car. It's just, the, the challenge is just, it, it's like, sometimes it's like snowflakes. There's just no two programming events that are alike. The car doctor. So this young girl, Kim, she comes to the shop. She, she says, I think I have a flat. Can you fix it? Now, I look at the, I think I have a flat, can you fix it tire, and there's a chunk missing about four inches square because she hit the curb. She couldn't comprehend how that needed a tire. My car has one of those door handles. A lot of people have them, I think, now. The kind of door handles which is recessed a little bit into the door, and your fingers actually go in a little before they grab it. Don't you like that? I like that. That's why they're not going to make it anymore. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Ania, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. Why not call our toll-free number? Our operators are standing by. And now... You take the Golden State Freeway to the Ventura Freeway to the San Diego Freeway until you come to the Slauson Cutoff. Get out of your car, cut off your Slauson, get back in your car. Here's Ronnie. Time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at the helm, ready to go at 855-560-9900. The phone number again, 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. We are uh, ready to fire it up and ready to just fix your car today, so give us a shout. If we're not here when you call, and uh, we are live on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. East Coast time. We're East Coasters. Um, By all means, leave us a message, 855-560-9900. Tom Ray, Executive Producer, Chief Cook, bottle washer, no phony. He is the real deal. And he'll get back to you and put you up in the next live queue, next live broadcast of the Car Doctor Radio Show. (sighs) Wow, what do you want to talk about today? I guess we'll talk about cars. Well, I want to talk about this. I I had this revelation. uh, You know, as I drive, I I think when I drive, like everybody else, but I kind of think about five things at once. It's a, you know, you run things around in your head. And I have to believe that one of the most, well, I guess one of the most common questions or one of the biggest questions I get is, how do I diagnose, where do I begin, and how do I just, how do I attack it? And I thought about that, and I, I, I take all the questions that you guys give me to heart, and I, I try to come up with the best answers I can. And I think, you know, the best example I can give is like this. Here, I'm going to take my first yellow note off the board today. I think it's in the pre-flight interview, as I like to call it. You know, there's an awful lot of information in the interview when you, when the customer brings their car in. 2012 Lincoln Navigator came into the shop just this week. And the problem was the power mirrors were both acting up. The power mirror on the driver's side didn't have up and down tilt. And the power mirror on the right side didn't fold. You know, they have their power folding mirrors. You can hit the button and, you know, in and out. And in the course of the conversation with Joe, he said, yeah, they worked good up until the snowstorm. And he said, then after the snowstorm, they started acting up. And then he thought about it. He said, well, actually, the driver's side mirror started acting up about three weeks ago when the rock hit it, which was the first clue. And the... Passenger side mirror started acting up after the snowstorm. So I said, well, okay. Wrote it up, got some time on a ticket. 
put the ticket in my rack and and you know that was it. He brought it in the next day and we I, I looked at it. I got into the car eight o'clock in the morning. You walk out to the car, twenty ten Lincoln, twenty twelve Lincoln Navigator, and you say to yourself, "All right, let's see what do the mirrors do." And the driver's side mirror, sure enough, yeah, it had hit by it had been hit by a rock. There was a a, a bullseye. You know, the the glass was sort of shattered under the mylar under the protective cover that they put over the top of the glass because this had um, oh I forget the exact term photo proto refractometer or something it's some special option with ford where the the you know it's not the objects that appear smaller than they are but it's a it's a super fancy day night you know it's 975 dollars worth of plastic and glass which is what it came down to that's how much the mirror was it was the most absurd thing i ever saw one mirror 975 bucks left side all right believe me i thought this thing could I, I was really ready you know like i thought this mirror would be able to talk to the probe on mars because this thing just had everything in it okay and it was broken. It had physical damage. That made sense to me. The rock came up. It hit the glass. It damaged the motor. I get it. That one made sense. The passenger side mirror, I couldn't get the fold. The power fold didn't work. And I checked. I checked for voltage. There's eight wires. I checked for power and ground going up to the mirror. And I didn't have it. And I said, well, maybe I'm not testing this properly. So I said, let me take the left side apart, because I have to take the left side apart anyway to do the mirror. And let me see what the left side looks like. The left side had power and ground. Everything was where it was supposed to be. But the right side wasn't working. Well, it would be easy to say, all right, let's start chasing signal. But something kept nagging me about the way the failure happened. The turning point in the repair was I ran that phrase around in my head. It worked great until the snowstorm. It kept going around in my mind. And I'm thinking, that's the turning point. That's the pivotal moment. That's when it broke. And then it came to me. I went and I read the procedure. And according to all data, the procedure is that you can power fold the mirrors four to six times in a seven-minute time period after which the system shuts down. They don't want to damage the motors. So if the mirror motor is stuck or somehow obstructed, the mirror is obstructed, you're up against the wall, you're up against the garage, you're a little too close to the side of the house, you can't damage the mirror trying to fold or unfold it. I plugged everything back together. I tried folding the mirrors again, but this time I did it repeatedly. I, I went into what we call programming mode. Turn the knob, center it, pull the knob back once, count to two. Pull the knob back twice, count to two. Pull the knob back a third time, and all of a sudden the motor goes, kicks the mirror out. Made a heck of a racket, though, because inside the plastic ratchet was broken. It was damaged. And the point is, in the interview, when he said to me, Ron, it worked good until the snowstorm. And I called him up and I said, Joe, you said it worked good in the snowstorm. What happened that you were playing with the mirror? And he said, well, it was frozen and I couldn't get it to budge. Okay. Bam. Right? He tried to get it to move. Guess what? Just because it moves doesn't mean it's good for it. All right? Simple case of we had to put two mirrors on the car, but we had reason because the right side mirror, when he, when he, when he smacked it with his palm... He physically damaged the ratchet inside. Now I could get it to now I could get it to 
program. Once I put it into program mode, I could get the mirror to move, but not on a consistent basis. Every third or fourth folding event, the mirror would skip a tooth and get stuck halfway out and have to go into program again. So uh, the point of this is, the turning point here was the pre-flight interview. That pre-repair interview is so darn critical. And you have to listen to everything the person says. And you as the person saying it have to tell us the truth. You have to tell us what really happened. Don't wait till after the fact to go, by the way, the mirror was frozen and I hit it with the palm of my hand. All right? Because it actually saved Joe money. It saved Joe some time, diagnostic-wise, and I was able to get to the heart of the matter very quickly rather than have to go through this whole routine. Why wasn't there voltage? Why was there no signal coming out to the mirror? I can't prove it, but after I programmed it, I had signal again. I believe the module shut down power because it lost its calibration. So the electronics are smart enough now that they'll shut down circuits that aren't working or working properly in order to avoid further damage. Because let's face it, the car companies are building cars that cost them money. If they can save money by shutting something down before it damages it more while it's under warranty, all the more power to them. The turning point, that pre-flight interview. Listen to what they have to say. By the way, the... <laughs> The one side mirror was 975 bucks. The other side mirror was $740. A $2,000 mirror repair. I just, and he, he was happy to pay it. He just wrote the check, said, hey, you know. He said, listen, it's a, it's a Lincoln Navigator. He goes, it's a $78,000 vehicle. What's two grand? At least I got my mirrors working. And, and, and that, is, that is the God's honest truth, and that is how you have to look at it. It's Boy, where have we come from, right? 63 Ford Fairlane, big chrome mirror over in the rest, so you stick your heart in it, adjust it, boom. Now we have a knob that, you know, for $2,000, we can tilt the mirrors in, tilt the mirrors out, put them up, put them down, left, right, sideways. Oh, my God, it's unbelievable. It's just what technology we're into. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anini, The Car Doctor. Come on back. Join me, and let me find the turning point in your repair. Let's talk about whatever's bothering you and your car right after this. Little GTO, you really look at Three deuces and a four-speed and a 389. Need advice on how to maintain that classic GTO? Ron is the guy. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. Let's get over to line two. Talk to Dennis, Wisconsin. Dennis, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yeah, I got a Ford Ranger that don't don't heat. At all? Is it cold air, Dennis, or is it just lukewarm? Uh, very, very, very cold. Very cold. So it's just like you don't have the heat? He had New radiator in, water pump, thermostat, had it flushed, and still no heat. Okay. Is it, is it, but it's, and it's stone cold. It's not even lukewarm. Yeah. All right. So, you know, if we assume that all your parts you put in are good, thermostat's good, radiator, water pump, etc., you're, you're down to one of two things. You're down to either a clogged heater core, a restricted heater core, which it doesn't sound like because you're saying it's stone-cold air, all right? The heater cores in those do have a tendency to clog, and back-flushing the core directly would be the way to do it. Not the system, but disconnecting the two heater hoses, figuring out which one's the inlet, and 
back flush. Take the water and push it through the outlet into the inlet so that you get the crud out before you embed it further into the core. Yes, he did. He did that. He did. He okay. Flushed it with water. Okay. He reversed it in and out on the heater core. Okay. So then you're down to you know, are the hoses hot or cold when the engine's running up to temperature? That I couldn't really tell you. All right. So it's going to be. Let's bring the engine up to operating temperature. All right. And here's where a scan yep. here's where a scan tool will come handy. You can watch it by the temperature, see what the computer's seeing as far as temp. And it doesn't need anything fancy. A plain old basic OBD2 scanner will tell you temperature, especially on a Ford. A lot of the Fords don't have coolant temp sensors in the factory information. You have to use cylinder head temp, which is kind of it's goofy on their part. We use OBD2. It's a conversion into coolant temp. So you can watch coolant temp. You should expect to see that thermostat open somewhere around 186 degrees, come up to temperature around 195 to 197. You know, once you get to 195 degrees out of that thermostat, out of that out of that engine itself by scan tool, those heater hoses, one of them's going to be real hot and the other one's going to be cooler. All right? One's the inlet, one's the outlet. If, right. if, if that's the case, if those hoses are within 40 degrees of engine temp, so if engine temp's 195 and you've got 145 to 155 degrees of heater temp going in through the hoses, and you can measure that with a with a heat gun, with a, a thermal imager, I mean, there's a host of ways to do it. Um, touch it to right. your hand. You know, it's, feel the upper radiator hoses. Is the upper radiator hose uncomfortable to hold? Is the, is the heater hose inlet uncomfortable to hold? If they are, then then they're pretty much you know within the same range. Then you're down to you, you've got a hot heater core, you've got flow. You're down to the blend door actuator or the blend door itself. Look at the front door of your house, Dennis. It's it's the the front door of your house is hinged, right? There's hinges on it to open it. Yep. Un- underneath the dashboard is the same thing. There's a plastic door on a metal rod that goes through the heater case. That's the hinge. Either the hinge is broken such that the door's being commanded open. You know, your wife's telling you open the front door, Dennis, get some fresh air in the house, and you can't because the okay. hinges are stuck. Same thing. Makes sense. Right? Uh, it's, yep, it's, makes sense. It's, it's, it's either the hinges are stuck or broken, or on top of the heater case for the blend door is what we call a BDA, blend door actuator. It's a little electric motor, probably 2.5 by 2.5 inches square. All right? And they're known to break. And if, if it is the blend door actuator and you get one apart, have your mechanic take it apart. You'll laugh at when you look at how cheesy it is. It's just a bunch of plastic gears and a little circuit board. And you say, my God, this thing actually runs the car for the heat? Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's mind-boggling how cheesy it is. But, you know, you're down to either the blend door stuck, um, blend door stuck, or the actuator. Now, if you okay. find if you find that you go through this and the heater hose inlet is scalding hot to the touch, and the yep. outlet hose is cool or cold. You know, it, it, there should be a, a, a 30 to 40 degree difference. If you find there's a 100 degree difference, you know, a major difference, then you've, right. got, to, then you've got to address maybe you still have a restricted heater core. Okay. All right? So, but that's, that's generally where you are. All right? It would not, right? It would not be uncommon, and if memory serves me right... Your mechanic should do a little research, but I think he's going to find that if he pulls the glove box out, if he takes the glove compartment out, pull the door down, take the box out, you'll see the the, the blend door actuator, the BDA, sitting right to the left of the glove box. If you're sitting in the car on the passenger side, 
just to the left of the top of that glove box opening. I believe the BDA is sitting right there on an 04. They're not they're not terrible to All get right. to, if I recall correctly. All right. All right, we'll sir. Do a couple more. Do a couple of those things, and if you want to hear this again, if you got the ability to it, podcast the first hour down around the bottom, and you're going to hear this diagnosis all over again. All right. All right, sir. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. You take good care. I bet he needs heat, though, huh? Now, how cold could it be in Wisconsin this time of year? Ah, <laughs> 10 degrees, you know? If it's if it hits 15, I understand they all get out there with their lawn chairs and suntan lotion, and they, you know, they're like they're warming up. Uh, but, uh, of course, they have not much else to do. Green Bay didn't get to the Super Bowl this year, so uh, they're all disappointed. And the barbecue. Don't forget they get the barbecue out. So they all get the barbecue out. It's... Um, well, I'll tell you what, it was it was amazing how the cold snap here in the Northeast on Monday, I mean, we were running through batteries. We were selling two, three batteries an hour on Monday. I mean, it was just like this revolving door. Uh, we were calling up for batteries and wiper blades on Monday. It was if, and I was shocked, you know, new people, they, they opened up a new building down the street from the shop. Lucky me, they knocked down this big giant lumber yard and they built this housing complex with 300 homes. Perfect. Just what I need. 600 more cars. You know, it's, I got nothing to do. Um, uh, we were just doing, you know, first-time customers. Everybody was getting a battery. It was just amazing how people kind of let things let things slide. So it, uh, it, was, it was just brutally cold, and I guess that shows that, I don't know, we're just not, we're just not ready for the bad weather. But I will tell you this. We are here, here we are at the end of January. I was thinking about this. It's uh, January 26th. By the way, Tom, happy anniversary. Um, you know what? You know what today. You know it was funny because when I was putting the uh, opens together for the show uh, last night, I was taking a look and I accidentally stuck stuck them in the wrong folder because January twenty sixth, twenty thirteen was the yeah. first show, and that's the folder that's on my computer. Yeah. That's our first um, first self syndication uh, marking. So we're now we're, how many years are we on? We're, uh, six. We're into the sixth year been doing this since 1991 and now we're into the sixth year of this evolution uh where will the next evolution take us i can't wait to see but it's been a heck of a ride and i've been blessed to have tom and now mike with me and tony wherever tony might be and uh we're glad to be here doing this for you so anyhow we're uh, come on back after the break we're gonna pull over and take a pause i'm ron and in the car doctor i'm here at 855-560-9900 to take your calls and answer your questions lewis from iowa is coming up next come on back let's talk about it Ron and Andy, the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Email ron at cardoctorshow.com. Facebook page, Ron and Andy and the car doctor. Let's get over to Lewis in Iowa, 08 Nissan Rogue. And a mouse problem. Mickey's coming to visit you, huh, Lewis? What's going on? Back in 2017, in the fall, a blower motor was starting to make her was making a noise. We had her mechanic take the thing apart, which was not easy to do under the dash. The terrible mouse mask here a few weeks ago. It happened again here in 2018, and also a mouse nest got into that cabin air filter. So where are they getting in the car? Through the yeah, they're the, uh, yeah. Or? Well, you know, Lewis, they're they're squeezing in, and I mean, they can a mouse can get under a garage door a third the height of the thickness of its body. It's amazing how they squeeze into tight places. Uh, the, the the key here is how do you deter them? 
Has your mechanic suggested, or has anybody suggested to you possibly taking a plastic bag uh, with some mothballs, punch a hole in it, and put it around the car under the hood to keep them out away from the vehicle? We have tried fresh cap in the cabin, you might say, and also dryer sheets are supposed to help. But right. you know, they're they're not they're not from the inside; it's from the outside. They're getting in through that. Right. You know, a couple of things. A, a couple the of things. The car is outside, and it's in a, otherwise it's on the open front shed. That's where it's stored, which probably isn't the best. Right. Um, so it's it, the vehicle's outside, I got to say. We got a little bit of a bad phone connection. I, you, you're saying the vehicle's stored or kept outside, Lewis? It's outside part of the time, and otherwise it's in an open front shed, and our dogs do not allow cats. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, listen, I, I had cats, and I still had mouse problems. The cats would look at me and go, yeah, what do you want me to do? Um, so, really? Yeah, yeah, I don't think the cats, well, you know what it is, we'd feed the cats, so the cat would go, hey, I'm getting fed either way, I don't need to chase anything. Uh, you know, right. Face, you know, I don't really think we own cats, I think cats own us, I think it goes the other you way around. You better believe it. You know, and they know it, too, I think cats were the first real aliens, they, uh, <laughs> you know, cats know yeah. they, they were here first. Um, what I would try is, I'd try a plastic Ziploc bag, fill it with some mothballs, and stick it in the front corner of the car under the hood in each corner, uh, you know, just, just as enough of a deterrent. The other thing you could try is in the area around the cabin filter where you think they're coming across, Honda, Honda Corporation, makes something called rodent tape. All right, you can actually get it out on Amazon, part number is 4019-2317, or you can just search for Honda rodent tape. And, you know, Honda had such a problem with their cars, they were actually wrapping this tape around the wiring harnesses and some of the other components trying to deter them. You know, you could put this around the area leading up to the cabin filter, perhaps, or just to get them to nibble on it, and it gives them enough of a kick that it sends them scurrying in the other direction. Uh, you know, okay. just 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 try that, and that you know it depends on if they're they've got to be nibbling on something, you know, either the rubber right. insulation or you know anything that looks like they're fascinated by, and I'd probably wrap the wiring harness or some of the underhood wiring harness, uh, even the wiring harness, you know, in the cowl area there, whatever you can find, just anything that would attract them to it. That if they nibbled on it, they'd learn to stay away. You know. Okay. You know, and that you can find that you can find out on Amazon. It's a pretty decent sized roll. It's not cheap. It's like forty, forty five bucks, but it's a decent length roll, and uh, that might be the ticket for you because it's got to be cheaper doing that than taking the car to the mechanic every two years to have them uh, about two hundred dollar repair item right. to clean out the mouse nest. Yeah. But that number again is four zero one nine two one one seven. Four zero one nine dash twenty three seventeen. Okay. And if the number has changed, it's easy enough to find. Just Google search. Just Google search Honda rodent tape, and it'll come up. You'll get all kinds of sources. All right. Okay. Well. All right. Well, thank you for being on KMA Radio. Thank you, sir. We're happy to be there for everybody at KMA. We appreciate them uh, supporting us over the years. You take good care. Thank you. You're very welcome. Miss Tom, you had a. I was going to say, allow me to tell you my uh, mothball story. Go ahead, tell us your mothball story. I had a transmitter uh, that I was rebuilding, and I couldn't get this one mouse out of the building. He wouldn't leave. I couldn't chase him out, and finally he settled up in what's called the meter bridge in the transmitter. So I took a bag of mothballs and threw it up in the meter bridge and closed the meter bridge for the night. Came back the next day, opened up the meter bridge, and there was Mr. Mouse 
with a nest built on top of the mothballs. So he was a he was a southern mouse, and he just he just he, didn't care where he was. Either that, or he had bad sinuses. Because man, he was sitting there mocking me. <laughs> was he was he making gestures? Uh, yes, and I uh, won't tell you what kind on so, the air. So it was a New York mouse. You bet. You yeah, bet it was. Yeah, I bet it was. <laughs> so I can imagine. Let's go and talk to Jim in Missouri, 05 Ford Ranger, and some fuel economy issues. Jim, welcome to the car doctor, sir. Hi, how are you? Good, sir. Thanks for, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. What's going on? Well, it's, uh, it's an 05 Ford Ranger, and um, I bought it a year ago, and I've done all kinds of work to it, and I've had the same problem from the beginning, is the mileage isn't too good, and um, and it thinks. Oh. And uh, a long story short, I ended up, um, the engine was wore out when I bought it. I didn't realize that. And I actually took it out and had it, had it rebuilt, put it back together. They said it's going to fix it. Um, because it was using a quarter oil every 300 miles, and that oil was causing all the problems. Which which and, which uh, which engine is this, Jim? It's it's the 2.3. Okay, it's the, it's the four cylinder. Okay. Yeah, so it's brand new engine, all rebuilt. Doesn't use oil anymore, but um, you know I got 21 miles a gallon in my last tank, and I drive an hour and a half one way to work each day, so three hours you know round trip all interstate, uh, and uh, opposite of rush hour, and I'm getting 21 and 22 miles a gallon with it. And uh, the ping is temperature sensitive. If you, the hotter it is outside, the worse it gets. When we're over 70 degrees, it just sounds like it's going to tear itself apart. Right now, we've been down into 10 and 12 degrees, and it doesn't ping. So obviously, it's heat related. Uh, the engine when when you when you replace the engine was it was it a new engine or a re, or, or a used engine? No, no, we rebuilt the engine. So from... I took it to a machine shop, and they rebuilt it. Okay, so let me ask you this question. The machine shop's got a lot invested in this simply because if the engine were to fail as a result of the pinging, um, you know, they're going to lose the engine. What are they? Have, have you gone and talked to them? I have, and they don't have any ideas. Wow, that's kind of um, spooky. I took, it to, uh, I took it to the Ford dealership and had them check it out, and they said, it's running perfect, they can't even nitpick it. And I said, but it's pinging. Well, we don't know. That's what Ford told me. Um, and I don't think there was an EGR valve on this particular uh, generation Ranger. So um, it, it does have an EGR valve that I replaced. I replaced both oxygen sensors, the catalytic converter, the mass airflow sensor, the MAP, and the anti-knock sensor, and there's a temperature sensor in the uh, head. I've changed all of it. Okay, let me ask you this. If you, if you manually open the EGR valve sitting at idle, does the engine stall? Uh, I've not tried that. All right. Why don't we try that? Because if it does install, that shows us that the EGR is opening, but either the passageway is restricted. I'm just trying to get back to basics. You know, EGR, the main purpose of an EGR valve, exhaust gas recirculation, is to induce exhaust back through the air fuel charge to lower cylinder temperature. All right. It's not to be reburned. Okay. It's to lower cylinder temperature. The idea being that it it quenches down or cools down the incoming charge. It it changes cylinder temperature to lower it down to help prevent pinging and detonation, along with the formation of NOx oxides of nitrogen. Uh, not to get technical, but that's what it is. If that valve, when you hand pump it open with vacuum or whatever means you can find to open it, and it doesn't start to run rough at the very least and or stall, which it should, tells me we've got an EGR circulation issue. First place I'd look. Never knew that. First okay. place I look. Oh, yeah. I, you know, 
Um, if you can get your hands on a scan tool, if you look at the EGR valve, is there a three-wire sensor sitting on top of it? Um, it does have an electrical plug going to it. Yeah, okay. So that I bet you that's a three-wire sensor in one of those. I bet you it's going to be a brown, let me think, a brown wire with a green trace, a black, which will be ground, the brown with the green will be the signal return, and then it's going to have a red or some form of a red wire, which will be a 5-volt reference. And you can actually watch on a scan tool to see what that EGR valve opens up to, um, looking to see voltage as well as does it open. So focus on the EGR valve this week. Call me back next week. Let me know what you find out. Okay, I sure will. All right, sir. You You keep me posted. You're very welcome. 855-560-9900. Car doctor's got a prescription for you. All you got to do is pick up the phone. I'm Ron and Annie in the car doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Running the name of the car doctor. I know Michael was pointing at me and I was kind of 855-560-9900. How do I get myself into these messes? Jeez, what a coincidence. Let's go and talk to Robert in New York. Robert, <coughs> running the name of the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. Um, I was just wondering, last weekend with the weather really dipping cold up here, my old diesels, I used to run a couple of gallons of kerosene in a full tank to thin it out for easiest starting and running. Right. Um, now I've got a 2018 Silverado Duramax, and that's a completely different animal than I'm, I'm used to. Oh, yeah. That's... Is, there, is, yeah, is there any harm in running some kerosene in that? Because I know i got a 2013 Volkswagen, and they tell you right in the owner's manual not to put diesel, uh, not to put gasoline in your diesel. Yeah, kerosene. And yeah. avoid all kinds yeah. of warranties. Yeah, well, and, and, and I have to agree with that, and I believe that you're going to find that's the same with the 2018. The problem is... You know, if if it's a diesel from 20 years ago, there's no filters, there's no electronic controls, there's, you know, there's minimal um, uh, computerization, so to speak. Yeah, there was none. Once once the diesel became computerized, if I can use that term, uh, you know, all bets are off. A lot of things changed. In in the case of a 2018, you know, the particulate filter, I would be worried about the, you know, the exhaust after treatment systems. I would be worried about an awful lot that, yeah, I don't think you want to run kerosene through it. If you're having an issue in cold weather, uh, the only thing I would tell you to add to that tank is whatever flavor of, you know, aftermarket diesel treatment, whether it be something from GM. I know GM's got a couple of uh, diesel treatment, fuel system treatments that they, they market through AC Delco um, or, you know, one of the aftermarket ones from either uh you know, CRC or, or Berryman or whoever might, uh, you know, actually have something. But, you know, to put something in that's not really approved, believe me, there's a lot of thought that goes into what, what they allow to burn through the engines today uh, because they're worried about what goes in, what comes out, and what it does to the environment as well as the vehicle. Okay. All right? So I'm going to yep. say I'm gonna say no. It's, uh, it's, it's not worth the effort. But on a positive side, that is a very nice truck. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's stone quiet. That's 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 one of the. It's it's. Can you tell it? You can't even tell it's a diesel, right? The way it runs, it's so quiet. Uh, nope, you can. It's very. It is very quiet. Yeah, it is very quiet. Yeah. They've really improved diesel technology a lot, and that's kind of what we're talking about in terms of you know the the, the difference. Uh, you know, it's um, it's just it's just a vastly different vehicle than what it once was. So I'm going to say no. Don't do it. All right, okay. kiddo. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Um, yeah, everything is, you know, nothing is, is what it once was. Uh, there isn't, there's, there's very little, and, you know, it's funny. It's very, there's very little you do today that you did the same as what you did five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I came across my diesel Volkswagen Rabbit, or as we used to say in the day, Wabbit, my Wabbit diesel 
TDI engine rebuilding tools in the corner of my toolbox. And they've been there all along. I just, you know, I don't, I don't open that drawer that much. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I wasn't down in that quadrant of the toolbox that much in the past couple of years. You know, I have to get permission because it's a long way down the wall. But, you know, I opened up that drawer and I looked in there and I went, wow, look at that cam timing bar, dial indicator, all the mechanical things we use to set pump timing, you know, from the 70s and the 80s. And you just, you, you think about it. We don't do that anymore. All right. We just. You know, the computer does all this now, all the technology, all the timing, all the adjustments. And it's, um, you, you know, it's, you just look at all the tools you're going to throw out someday because uh, there's just no, I was looking at the wall of, oh, listen, I could go on for, I, I was looking at the wall of books in the shop. You walk into the front of the shop and there's a wall of books, all right, you know. Mitchell and Chilton and Motor Age. Remember Chilton Manuals back when Chilton was actually a book company? And there's like a wall of books, and I'm saying, what am I doing with all this stuff? Like, you know, I never open these books anymore. I've got a, I've got a parts and labor guy from 1983, 83, 93, 2003, 13. It's 35 years old. When's the next time you think I'm going to open that up, right? Like, what am I doing with it? And, you know, but you just collect things. It's... I think I think when you're retired, it depends on how much you have. You, you you gain more in retirement by what you can throw out in terms of tonnage, how much everything weighs. But um, a lot of technology has changed and gone under the bridge. All that information in those books, and then some, are on online on a computer that we get fed to the computers in the shop every day. We don't even use CDs anymore. That's all gone. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm running in the car doctor. Going to pull over. Take the pause. I'll be back right after this. <laughs> Let's squeeze a few more in. Ron and Annie, the car doctor. You know, let's go into the mailbag. I'm not sure what to do with this email. Ron, your thoughts on the 1977. I had to read this three times. Your thoughts on the 1977 GMC C1500 heavy half. I don't know what a heavy half is. Is there any known real problems I should look out for? So far, this truck is amazing. This comes to us from Mike. Um, let's see. 1977. I was, how old was I? I was three years out of high school. So, you know, in the 40-something years since this vehicle actually came out on the road, ah, this is a good vehicle. What else can I tell you? It's it's a 1977. Uh, is it original? How many miles are on it? What does it look like? Um, you know, it's... Please. Uh, but I, th I started adding up 27. 42 years old. I... Uh, next. Um, this one comes to us. I, I, I love this guy. He always writes me such great email. Not that that was a bad one, but that one just kind of let me scratch in my head. I won't have time to do all of this. We'll have to save this. But uh, just to get started on it, Michael from down Texas way. Ron, I own a 98 Sienna that was only retired after a collision rendered it irreparable. And he was referencing a caller we had gotten this week when he sent that. He says, Gary needs shocks and struts. What struck me was the very low mileage of his car for a Toyota. The model was the last of the original Sienna was the best built. Mine had 357,000 miles on it. And I've seen them hit 800,000 miles or more. Um, he just talks about things that just, I'm going to have to save this email for another time because it's just really amazing what goes on in Texas with their cars. It's uh it's just a great state. It really is. I'm Ron Anning and the Car Doctor reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.